You're listening to Lights, Audio, Action from St. Louis Public Radio in partnership with the Missouri Film Office. I wanted to meet you here because this morning I learned something troublesome about the property's owner. You got nothing to worry about from Fremont. Fremont's not the owner. It's his stepson. Vitaly stops chewing mid-bite. Interior, police station, corridor, day. Danaher and Renicky walk purposefully down a busy corridor in the station house. They open the door to an interrogation room. As they enter, they see Clarence seated at a table with a bottle of fortified wine, cheerful. Stack and Gates are on either side. Cocktail hour. Clarence, this is Lieutenant Danaher and Commander Renicky. This here is Clarence. We're still working on the last name. Now, Clarence, did you really see those men get killed last night? Oh, yeah. It was horrible. His description matches the autopsy report. And it sure looks like blood stains where he says it happened. The cobblestones make it hard to tell. The whole forensics lab's down there right now. Now, what'd they do with the bodies, Clarence? Stuffed them in the trunk of their car. What kind of car? Big one. You hear that on the radio? <laughs> I ain't heard a radio since I was inside. Now, did you get a good look at any of them? Maybe. Could you describe them? They all had on suits and, and slick back hair and talk funny, like Maurice Chevalier. Gates steps aside to have a word with Renicky and Danaher. For whatever it's worth, we're going to have a look through the book. Are we finding out who he is? They're working on it right now. Question now is, does O'Malley announce we might have an eyewitness? How good does that do? It might force somebody's hand. It might make things pretty hot for Clarence here, too. Your call. Danaher looks at Clarence as the old wino takes a long swig from his bottle. Stack shakes his head. He's all they've got. Interior, City Hall, Rotunda, Day. A crowd of reporters wait intently. Police Chief O'Malley commands a lectern. Danaher and Renicky stand to the rear. At approximately 9.45 this morning, two bodies were discovered by City of St. Louis police officers off Wharf Street on the Mississippi Riverfront. They were the bodies of two males who had been the victims of brutal assaults. The causes of the death have been established as strangulation, blunt force trauma, and loss of blood from multiple stab wounds. An eyewitness has come forward. Cameras flash and pop. Gates and staff look on anonymous. Interior, Mike's Blues Deluxe, day. Mike, Cab, Billy, and Blind Maurice are at the bar listening to the news conference on the radio. We now identify the victims as Aldo R. Bonavina, Thomas M. Staple, both of Kansas City. The full investigation is underway, and all possible measures being taken bring the perpetrators of this heinous crime to justice. Interior, City Hall, Rotunda, Day. That's all for now, fellas. O'Malley, Danaher, Renicky, and the other city officials exit amid a barrage of unanswered questions. End of Act Two. Act Three. Exterior, Gaslight Square, Mike's Blues Deluxe, Night. The bright neon sign glows, Mike's Blues Deluxe. Gaslight Square is humming with activity. Interior, Mike's Blues Deluxe, Night. The club is crowded to capacity with a diverse assortment of patrons. Waiters and waitresses bustle here and there. The atmosphere is electric with excitement. Everyone seems to be having a wonderful time. Frank Meehan sits at a side table in an alcove with a beautiful young woman. Interior, 
Mike's office, night. Mike sits with his back to his desk, staring out the window. The door opens, and Cad sticks his head in. You coming down? Uh, yeah, Mike. Maurice asked if you'd introduce Billy. Mike rises. Yeah. Interior. Mike's Blues Deluxe, night. Mike walks onto the stage from Wings. Evening, everybody. I'm Mike Palachuk. Yeah, that's right. Clap, yeah. Welcome to the Blues Deluxe. We've got something new for you tonight. This is a young man you'll be hearing a lot about in one way or another. So would you please welcome, sitting in with our very own Blind Maurice Cummings and the Exciters, Mr. Billy Fremont. Mike quickly steps from the stage and Billy comes on, backed by Maurice and the Exciters. The band plays a standard 12-bar progression, and Billy comes in on lead guitar, filling the room with a skillful solo. Mike makes his way through the club toward the bar, stopped at virtually every table by well-wishers. He shakes their hands, but keeps moving. One table stops him. Steve Schweth, 50s, white, executive, stands up. At his table are three young, athletic black men, Kurt Flood, Bill White, and Bob Gibson. Mike, Mike, Steve Schweth, player development with the Cardinals. Ah, uh, yeah, hiya, Steve. I believe you know Kurt Flood, Bill White, and Bob Gibson, our new fireballer. Mike shakes each of their hands with respect. How'd it go tonight? Gibson just looks at him. Eh, tough loss. Tenth inning. All you can do is keep firing at him, huh? Hang in there. Thanks for coming in, Phyllis. Mike continues on and finally arrives at the bar. The bartender, 50s, immediately pours him a drink. Thanks, Cliff. Mike drinks and watches Billy perform for a few minutes. Tully Briscoe, 60s, white, slides up next to him, making notes in his little book. Hey, uh, you think the Swedes got a chance against Patterson? Punch his chins. You think either of them would have a chance against Liston? <laughs> I don't know. Let's ask him. Mike turns to a large black man standing next to him, Sonny Liston, 30s, 40s, impossible to pin down. Hey, yo, Sonny. Atholia wants to know if Joe Anson or Patterson would have any chance against you. Ain't nobody got a chance against me. Ah, there you are. Tully moves off, nodding. Mike scans the club, listening to the music, noticing the faces, taking it all in. He stops when he sees something he doesn't like. Two tables occupied by hoods and their call girls, 30s. Mike searches the room and finds exactly who he expects to, Gino Vitale. Vitale eyes a beautiful woman in a blue dress, 30s, as he passes her table. She doesn't seem to notice. She is watching Billy. Mike turns and finds Cab behind the bar. Hey, Cab, you see that, uh, see that woman over there sitting by herself? Yeah. You know who she is? That's the girl Billy wants to impress. Looks like me, she might, uh, learn him something he's not ready to be taught, huh? Look on her face. I say she's just about ready to start ringing the school bell. The woman in blue seems completely captivated as Billy wraps up his number to wild applause. <laughs> Billy takes his bows and leaves the stage smiling broadly. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, that's our own Billy Blues Boy Fremont. Rhythm and blues as good as it gets. So come on, put your hands together for St. Louis's own Ike and Tina Turner and the Ikeettes. The Ikeettes dance onto the stage, their spangled dresses impossibly short, with Tina Turner, 19, and Fire Apple Red. A Saturnine Ike Turner, 28, leads them into their latest hit. 
This is not the Ike and Tina Turner we know from the Proud Mary days, toned down for a mainstream white audience. These are kids living in North St. Louis, and they are raw, unrestrained, and wildly erotic. Gates and Stack are in the audience. They make their way over to Sonny Liston. Hey, Sonny. Hi, Stacks. Marvin. Thought you were in training, Sonny. I am. Sonny on that special Shivers Regal training diet. When your fights last only 30 seconds, I guess that don't matter much, huh, Sonny? Mike engages. Hey, uh, what are you guys drinking? My tab, Cliff. They all thank Mike. Just then, he is approached by a young waitress, Verna, 20s, sexy. Mike, one of the men at my table just asked if you'd come over and have a drink. Which man at your table? Mike already knows the answer, but Verna nods toward Vitaly's table. Yeah, bring a couple of bottles of good champagne over, will ya? Thanks. She moves off, and Mike heads for Vitaly's table. When he arrives, Vitaly rises, spreading his arms. Hey, you slugger. How the hell are you? He embraces Mike, kissing his cheek, then fakes throwing punches as Mike smiles with forced indulgence. A big guy who looks like he's taken and laid out a few beatings, Sal Garza, 40s, gets up to shake Mike's hand. Good to see you, Mike. Hiya, Sal. I uh, think you know everybody, don't you? And this is Vinny Palermo, Tony Bianca's cousin's kid from Detroit. Palermo, 20, is particularly large and vicious looking. Hello, everybody. Vitaly puts his arm around Mike's shoulder. And this is the owner of this fine establishment. The second ranked light heavy in the world before the war. And we had a piece of it. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Hey, if you need anything, don't hesitate to ask. Hey, you ever hear of karate? Yeah, karate, sure. It's the most deadliest form of fighting on earth. You don't say. Vitaly seems amused. He gives Mike a look. Kids. I do say. I got a fucking black belt in it. <laughs> That's so. Is that good? Yeah, it's good. I can kick the shit out of any boxer that ever lived. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I'll tell you what. There's a boxer over there sitting at the bar right now. I'm sure he'd be very interested if he could hear about this from you. The hoods and the call girls egg him on. Palermo rises. Vitaly looks toward the bar where Liston is sitting. He puts his hand on Palermo's shoulder. Sit down, kid. You get yourself killed. Palermo reluctantly sits. Tony's cousin's kid from Detroit needs to relax. He's a kid. What can I tell you? Vitaly moves in close to Mike. Look at this place. Beats the hell out of fighting for a living, don't it? Sometimes I wonder. Benny Dugan said you were at the gym a couple days ago looking at that Del Pazzo kid. What do you think? It looked okay till he got somebody across from him. Benny said you got in with him. Worked him over pretty good. But when I was his age, some old bastard got in the ring with me. Had to put him in the hospital for a month. That's too bad. Syndicate had hopes for him. He's a dedicated kid. Does six miles every morning. Yeah, well, maybe you should run track. A beat. Vitaly leans in even closer. I guess uh, you heard about Stippo and Bonavina. Hard to miss. You heard anything else? Anything like what? Like who this witness is? No. Vitaly nods as if in agreement. He shifts gears. It's funny seeing a white kid playing in this kind of joint, huh? Yeah, I guess you've seen how the other half lives. Just then, the champagne arrives. Uh, it's on the house. Everyone have a good time. Vitaly and Garza watch as Mike walks away. Instead of going to the bar, Mike heads out the back door that leads to a gangway in the back of the club. Vitaly watches him leave. Exterior, Mike's Blues Deluxe, gangway out back, night. Mike lights a cigarette and sees Billy Fremont sitting on the steps playing guitar, just for himself. 
just for the joy of it. Mike smiles and walks over to him. Hey, your audience is inside, kid. I think I left out a section. Not so anybody would notice. Is it okay? Well, it's better than okay there, buddy. Are you still gonna tell me I should go back to Princeton? <laughs> I thought you'd listen. Would you have listened if people told you that you shouldn't fight? That was different. I didn't have anything else I could do. From the way I see it, neither do I. Listen, kid. Reese wouldn't let you go up there on that stage with him if you didn't have the chops. Making a living, that's another thing. You think people are ever gonna pay money to hear a white guy play the blues? <laughs> Tonight it's got novelty value. Tomorrow? Sir, a woman preaching is like a dog's walking on its hind legs. It is not done well, but you are surprised to find it done at all. Who said that? Samuel Johnson. And this the kid thinks he doesn't belong in college. Shh. You impressed the girl at least. She loved it. She's been wanting to see me do this for a long time. Cab comes to the door. We got trouble. Mike tosses his smoke and walks past Cab into the club. Billy follows. Interior. Mike's Blues Deluxe. Night. On stage, Tina belts out a song as only she can do. An excited crowd has gathered around Palermo and Liston by the bar. Two attack dogs ready to break their leashes. Mike gets in the middle. I don't like disturbances at my saloon. Buy each other a drink and take it outside. Palermo makes the mistake of reaching out and grabbing Mike by the shirt. In a blur of motion, Mike pivots and whistles a textbook, savage left hook off Palermo's jaw. Palermo goes over flat on his back, out cold. Karate, huh? The shock of the moment sends a brief hush through the crowd. The Iquettes drop a verse, but the drummer keeps the kick drum thumping. I never believed that shit about karate. Yeah, he's gonna need some air. Garza motions to two big hoods who lift up Palermo and drag him to the door. Mike sees Billy standing nearby. Sure you don't want to go back to Oxford? Billy shakes his head, speechless. Everyone just turns back to the music. Tina howls. The Iquettes dance. Mike almost smiles as he looks out over the club. Then he finds Vitaly, back turned in the corner, talking intently to one of the call girls. Mike watches, his face a stoic mask. Cut to footage, exterior, front yard, day. An eight millimeter home movie of a woman and a boy in front of a small South St. Louis bungalow circa 1935. Both are laughing happily. The pictures of health and all the wonderful things that life has to offer. The song ends, and we hear the applause and cheering from the club as the film rolls out, the blank leader flickering across the projection lamp. Cut to interior, Mike's Blues Deluxe, night. The club is closed and empty except for Maurice and some of the bluesmen who are on the stage talking, drinking, and jamming. It is obvious that this music is not just their business, it is their art and their way of life. Interior, Mike's office, night. Mike sits flexing and unflexing his left fist. Cab sits across from him, going through the receipts and counting cash. You had Werner give Vitaly and them guys two bottles of French champagne? Told her to put rat poison in it. Yeah, well, next time poison him with the domestic. There's a knock on the door and Billy enters. He seems a bit drunk. Good night. Yeah, your plan made him thirsty. What are you still doing here? I'm going to a party. We invited? I could ask the lady who invited me. Any gal asking you to a party at three in the morning ain't looking for no chaperone. 
there's one problem. It seemed to be a little short of cash. Didn't we pay you a couple of days ago? I loaned some to Freddie Barnes. Man, never give money to musicians, especially drummers. He said he needed it for his mother. It went up his nose, Billy Boy. Cocaine's for racehorses. It ain't for men. Remember that. Mike reaches into his pocket and pulls out a $10 bill and hands it to Billy. I don't need this much. You'll solo us now, kid. Just be back here tomorrow night, no matter how good the party is. Thanks, Mike. Night, Cav. See you tomorrow. On top of the world, Billy leaves. Mike watches him go, then turns and walks to the window, looking out at the night. Remember being young? Mike stares out the window. Eight millimeter footage, exterior, front yard, day. A woman, his wife, a little boy, his son. They wave at the camera. Interior, Mike's office. In his eyes, Mike is falling down, down, down. No. End of Act 3. Act 4. Interior, Mian's home, study, day. It's early morning, and Meehan is seated at his desk, tie undone and bleary-eyed. I don't give a damn who's paying him off. Just get him behind bars or out of town. Behind Frank, the door swings open to reveal a beautiful, exquisitely dressed woman, Catherine Meehan. She drops a stack of papers onto the desk, startling the mayor. Don't you knock. Uh, Something's come up. I'll uh, call you back. Jesus Christ, Catherine. I got a few things going on right now. Give those to Howard, or whoever's going to represent you. Here, have a drink. He pours two fingers of scotch from a crystal decanter into a matching glass. It's 7.30 in the morning. It's still last night. If you haven't been to bed yet. You should try it sometime. Now, drink up and calm down. She ignores the drink. I am calm, Frank. You agreed. You'd hang in, at least until I'm in the governor's mansion. (laughs) Governor? Of what planet? Good Lord, after that article, my friends have been calling me, consoling me. You're done, Frank. It'll all look very different once we arrest Nedabino. You actually think that's going to happen, don't you? You are crazy. All right, Catherine Spill. Why spring it on me this particular fine spring morning? One of your whores called our house last night? Man blinks. Here it comes. After 22 years, I'm accustomed to virtually any indignity. But our daughter isn't. He flinches. And unfortunately, she was the one who took the call from your drunken, bawling bimbo. Sweetheart, is that all? Don't say another word. The sight of you nauseates me. The notion of you touching me makes my flesh crawl. That article got you just right. A dim-witted, glad-handed buffoon. If you're not packed up and out of the house tonight, I'll have my lawyer file the petition in circuit court tomorrow morning. Then I'll call the Globe Democrat and the Post-Dispatch. And I will end this marriage as publicly and as embarrassingly as possible. Man seems genuinely terrified by this woman. Catherine turns to leave. Wait, wait, you mean if I leave the house, you'll you'll hold off on the filing? Catherine doesn't stop, calls over her shoulder. Only one way to find out. She exits, slamming the door. Mian picks up the drink he poured for her and takes a long, slow drink. She always did have a killer sense of timing. 
He picks up the phone and dials, a number he knows by heart. This is Mayor Francis X. Mian on the phone. Get me Bert. A beat. Mian lights a cigarette. Hey, pal. I want to book the penthouse suite. Huh? Yeah, as of tonight. Yeah. Yeah, indefinitely. And Bert, keep it on the QT. Interior, Mike's Blues Deluxe, day. Late afternoon, Tina Turner and the Ikeettes are on the stage working through a dance routine without Ike. Cab is behind the bar stocking the back shelves while Mike sits at a table doing the books. Danaher enters with Stack and Gates. They head for Mike's table. Afternoon officers. I don't imagine you're having a very good day. Mayor's lost his mind. Got us crowding people ain't supposed to be crowded. He wants Nettabino. Well, here you got an eyewitness. Old ex-con Soak hiding in the lobby of the Boatman's Hotel. Yeah, he fingered Stack here as the killer. <laughs> well, just your luck, huh? Listen, Mike. You sure you haven't heard anything? Nothing. But, uh, not exactly in the loop anymore. But you hear the drums beat. Yeah, if the mayor thinks nailing Nettabino to the wall is gonna save his political ass. He's out of his mind. He's got some idea he's gonna turn St. Louis into America's family vacation center. Derisive laughter sweeps the table. As it subsides, they watch the Iquettes gyrating wildly on the stage. You know, Mike, you gotta stop getting these acts from the Carmelites. Exterior, derelict home, day. The shell of a once beautiful home. A mangy dog in the front yard is scared off by screams from inside. Two African-American boys, 11, burst out of the front door. Come on, come on, Rosie, get out of there. Leave her, let's go. They run down onto the sidewalk where they encounter an African-American man in work clothes, Mr. Davis. Hey, 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 watch it, boy. You're going to knock someone over. Uh, Mr. Davis, M- Mr. Davis, we found a... We, 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 it's some guy, Mr. Davis. He's on the floor. Uh, he's on the floor in there. Ro- Rose is still in there. Hold on, hold on. One at a time. You found what? A body, Mr. Davis. They turn to see a girl, Rose, 10, standing in the doorway, unusually calm. There's a body in there on the floor. It's a man. It's a white man, Mr. Davis. You kids ought to know better than to go into a place like that. Don't think I'm not going to tell your mamas and your daddies on you because I am. Now, now get on home. The second boy runs up on the porch and takes Rose's hand. They turn tail and run for home. Davis looks at the house. Oh, Lord. He steps up onto the porch. Interior, derelict home. Mr. Davis steps gingerly into the house. He squints, adjusting his eyes to the dim light. Hello? Anybody in there? Near a broken window, he spots a human form lying on its side. One arm is extended, sleeve rolled up, rubber hose still tied off. Junky accoutrements litter the floor. You all right? He gets no response, and he turns the body on its side with his boot. It's Billy Fremont, pale and unmistakably dead. End of pilot. From St. Louis Public Radio, in partnership with the Missouri Film Office, this is Lights Audio Action. Check out the full episodes and more at stlpr.org slash lights.